Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Pastor Larry Davis. All right. Well, uh, I want to start off with I'm excited, too, for the uh, Christmas Eve service. It's one of the funnest times of the year for me. And from all of us here, I want to tell you Merry Christmas from the staff. And uh, man, I hope you guys are having the best Christmas ever. The holiday seasons are good. The hot cocoa tastes good. Like, life is fantastic right now. So Merry Christmas, right? Right? Okay, not everybody. Yeah, so we're at church. We're good at faking it. Merry Christmas. Well, that's just... That's just the reality, though, right? It's not always a merry Christmas for everyone. Sometimes it feels a little bit like the worst Christmas. It's not just merry Christmas. I remember um, some, some of my worst Christmases. Um, one of my worst Christmases was, uh, well, here was a cool thing. Every year, I got two Christmases. Um, we would go, and um, we would wake up, and we'd get to open presents. And then, depending on where we moved uh, or lived, because we moved a lot, we would go around four to eight hours and then drive to meet up with the rest of the family. And we'd all do Christmas together with Grams and the aunts and the uncles and the cousins. And we'd do, like, second Christmas. It was awesome. You get to pick something with you. And one year, um, we did our Christmas in the morning. I took some gifts with me to play with, and I got to second Christmas, and the best gift ever happened. Um, me and my cousin Matt, many of you guys have met him, um, we got a Swiss army knife. <laughs> oh, yes. Had like 32 different things it could do, including a toothpick. It like, you could build a house with a Swiss army knife. So it was legit. So that's what we were like, what? We have a Swiss army knife. And we were like, let's go outside. We have to build something. Like, let's build a house. And then, and then we were like looking for things to use it on. And then we decided, no way, let's like make something else and whittle it and cut it with our knife. And so we decided we would like whittle arrows to like do something that we probably shouldn't be doing with these arrows. And so the responsible adults there made sure they told us, when you're using the knife, go this way, not this way, right? So I was like, yeah, got it. Go make my arrow. And I'm making my arrow. And Matt goes this way, right through his whole finger. Yeah. <laughs> Idiot. <clears throat> Has to go spend four hours in the emergency room, comes back with this huge wrap on, with a way to eat, you know, holding it up. And what happens is the responsible adults walk outside, come over to me, and grab my Swiss Army knife and take it away. Yep. Yeah. Worst Christmas ever. <laughs> yep. <laughs> as much as we want to make Christmas jolly and fun, there's just some of us out there that feels just a little bit like someone's come and taken our presents away. Uh, no matter what's going on or, or what's happening, there's just part of this season that feels like and reminds us that we've just been ripped off, right? Maybe it's the empty chair for the first time. Maybe it's that person who will no longer be there for Christmas. Maybe it's the unemployment. Maybe it's the finances. Maybe it's the... It doesn't matter how much lights and tinsel and wrappings are going on on the tree, but the cancer still hangs in the air. And everyone's mind and hearts are on it. Maybe it's the marriage that feels like it's dead. The realization is, is that for many of us, no matter how we wrap it or how many bows we put on or how many lights we put up, the reality is we feel ripped off at Christmas and worse Christmases happen. Worse Christmases happen. I remember another one of my worst Christmases. 
who's a Growing up as a, as a young boy, I had a, a good friend of mine, his name was Jeremy Storms. I had this quilt, it's in my, in my home. Uh, it's a picture of it, it's framed up, it goes everywhere I go, and it says, Guiding Jeremy Through the Storms, and this quilt was made in honor of him for hemophilia. He was born with hemophilia. And uh, um, we knew each other, and he was a, a much smaller guy, uh, just um, a, a wonderful young man, and uh, I was like his big Brutus. I was walking around all the time, and part of my Brutus was to protect or to keep people or things away from Jeremy or something happening to him, because if he would get a bump or a scrape or a cut, he would have to get uh, this plasma, clotting plasma, um, to get that so that way he wouldn't bleed to death. And he would always carry around, that was just the life he lived, he always had to carry around a, a big old like um, cooler, um, that had that material in there. So if something happened, they could put an IV in. Well, when he was five years old, he went and he got um, one of these plasma fills, and it was tainted, and he got from that HIV. When he was 10, um, he got sick with an infection, and that um, then translated and turned it into full-blown AIDS. So at 10 years old, my buddy has got AIDS. He's also the pastor's kid. And you like, sit there and be like, well, so like, this is like just normal. You know, I'm like this young guy, this is Jeremy, this young kid, and this is my buddy, and I'm the protector, and we hang out all the time, and we got to keep, you know, things safe and things away from him from happening, and um, when he was 15, uh, this week, it was 19 years ago, on December 7th, uh, when he was 15, he passed away from AIDS. Sometimes we have worse Christmases. Many of you can relate to those types of stories, and Christmas just stirs up those emotions and those times and those times of the holidays where we're just trying to get through it. So let me tell you about the worst Christmas. Many people say, Merry Christmas, and they're like, well, not as good as the first one. But what I want to point out is the fact is that was actually probably the worst Christmas was the first one or the first few. See, the thing was is that young Jewish boys always had a dream about when this Messiah was going to come and this king was going to come and take its place on the throne, the coming long-awaited Messiah of glory and amazement and what that would look like. And if you were there and you were part of it, you began to realize that it was not only the wrong storyline, but the wrong people were involved in this. That got all the wrong people got all the leading parts. Now we actually know the story and we've seen it kind of played out. We know who Christ is and what actually happened. And, but at that particular time, they didn't understand or see those things. And we see who the key people were, we think of like the shepherds, right? You think of the shepherds and the, the boy who's in the play and he wears dad's robe, bathrobe, and has this stick. And we think, wow, that's really something special. But the truth of the matter is, when it came time for the key players in the story, that is absolutely not anyone you would have ever thought or imagined would have been part of this. The shepherds who were the lowest rung of the culture, the absolute bottom of the food chain to the point where they weren't even allowed to testify in the court of law. The idea that the announcement of the birth of the king would be given to those people instead of the people who are maybe living a life of integrity, living a, what might seem to be a little bit more of a mainstream life or someone who followed the rules a little better. There was no one thinking, man, I wish one day my, my son grows up to be a shepherd because when the day comes of the announcement, he'll be the first to hear it. Or think of the young couple. We know them as Joseph and Mary. We know the whole story again and how this lays out and what it looks like. But it's time if you were to take a look at this, you see this young, uneducated couple from the Podunks. 
poor. So poor that when it came time to give their offering that you would give for your firstborn son, that they had to give the food stamp offering of that time. We sing songs about two turtle doves and the romance that comes with that. But that was the sacrifice of the people who were below the poverty line. And they would allow them to um, uh, sacrifice these turtle doves uh, as their, as their uh, exception to this rule. Instead of bringing the lamb like everyone else had brought, they could buy a couple cheap turtle doves. Or we think of the people um, in this story, key players, famous roles that we call the three wise men. In fact, in Scripture, it doesn't even say that there was three. There was a number of them. But we forget, or some of us never realize that where they're from, they're pagans from Babylon. So when the king shows up, you'd think he'd be born into this family of status and stature, and mom and dad would be well-educated, and and they would be known people. This is a, a, a people of interest. You'd think the announcement might come to people in in a church at that time. They would show up and be like, church, guess what's happening? Not shepherds. You'd also think the people that might see the clearness like the wise men did or the magi maybe would be the priests that maybe on, uh, they were selected on the day of atonement to go and make that sacrifice, that they would be the ones that would receive that announcement. Or maybe one day your, your child would be able to make the high priest and would be a part of that announcement. Maybe it would be during your time. But yet, none of those people were chosen. See, it wasn't just the wrong people, it was the wrong storyline as well. I want to tell you a little bit more about the story. And I love the way that the Bible puts it. I love that we can wrap it up and we can put bows on it. We put the nativity scene on the, on the, on the yard. We can put lights in the window. We can try to get it as far away from the Bible as we can, but when we come back to Scripture, it's the exact opposite. From the very first page of the New Testament, God says, I don't want to whitewash this. I want to let you know what Christmas is all about. Because why he came then and who it was for is the very essence of why and who it's for today. From the beginning, it comes with bad relationships. Religious cultural taboos, killers of society. It comes in the midst of divorce and a bastard child. Every uh, culture has and society has a name for the illegitimate. The Hebrew name for it was Mamzar. Mamzar was, the, was a child of the fatherless, or the unknown father was a Mamzar. And for 30 years, it's a stigma and rep- uh, reputation that's going to follow him. Jesus, even as an adult, goes back to his hometown, Nazareth. In Mark 6, we see in the, first cha- in, the, in the first verse right there, he goes back to his hometown, and the people are sitting in awe, but not of his power. They're sitting there watching him, saying, who is this that gives these wise words? Isn't that, isn't that the son of Mary? Isn't that the Mamzar? The one without a father? For 30 years, he'll be hung with this reputation that he'll never be able to live down. But for the next 2,000 years, he'll be set with a reputation that we'll never be able to live up to. But at the beginning, it was was so different. The first chapter of the book of Matthew starts with divorce. Joseph, Joe, who wants out, says, I can't do anymore. Joe, who says, this isn't the way that marriage is supposed to be. This isn't the life that I had planned. The family that I had dreamed of, the very first chapter, Christmas starts with divorce. 
I don't know how many of you have been a part of that or in one of those situations or you've lived and grown up with that. I see cards every week with prayer requests of people that are here and people that you know. The relationships are a mess. The only thing we share anymore is a bank account and a cold bed. And that's where Christmas starts. And God says, print it. See, Joseph, Joe, he's a righteous man. He doesn't want to do it publicly. He doesn't uh, want to do this thing where people would know about it. He wants to do it privately. He doesn't want to hurt Mary. He wishes the best for her. He just knew it was wrong. He wasn't ready for this. This wasn't how he had planned out. He, wasn't, he had dreams with this woman that he loved and the life that they would have together and the family they would have together, and now she's pregnant. And I don't know if I'm ready to take on the cultural attacks that we're going to receive from that. Mary is troubled in her spirit. She can hear from God that this is the long-awaited Messiah, but nothing around her points to God. Nothing around her seems to make sense. Nothing around her is showing that God's really like moving in this. In the Christmas story in Luke 1 and 2 and Matthew 1 and 2, it was filled with a whole lot of darkness, hopes and dreams that are shattered, and uncertainty. It's the wrong time to have a baby. It's the wrong time to have a baby. It's the wrong time to take a journey. To have to move a wife that's nine months pregnant to go and register for a census in Bethlehem at that time, in that moment, in her pregnancy, seems senseless. This can't be God's timing. God's serious? This is the timing that you have for the coming king? This is your plan to go and to travel? Why is there no room? Why is there no one waiting? If God's really in life right now, why does no, why none of this make sense? Why aren't doors opening for us? You been there? You asked those questions before? <laughs> That's the Christmas story. Sometimes I look and I go, Joe, I know you're poor, but... I mean, you knew you were going on this trip. You knew that so many people were going to be showing up there because it's a crowded time. Why why didn't you send somebody ahead? Why didn't you make sure that she had a room? This is a horrific journey you're going on, and and no one's ahead waiting for you. Why wouldn't you be prepared for that? They think, oh, well, well, maybe this is him just saying, oh, God's going to take care of it, like a lot of times we as Christians do. Hands off, he's got it in his hands, it's in his control. But then they stare and say, well, wait, how did that work out? Because when we just showed up here, no one's here. There's no room, no bed, no help, and you can have a stable. At the time of a census when so many people there, there's so much livestock there, you can have where they go, where it's overcrowded. It's urine-soaked hay. It's the stench of manure at the turn of the head. And if you want to create a place there, it's yours. Where is God? So much for hope and faith and a journey that it's all figured out and it's just going to happen. Where is God? And then in the midst of this journey, you find out that the entire Roman Empire is now after you. King Herod wants your baby dead. So now you become a refugee. We've heard a lot about those lately. You have to flee to another country, to Egypt. Egypt! You don't have to go that far back to realize in the Old Testament the relationship between the Egyptians and the Israelites. 
the oppression of people, the place of their tears where blood has been shed, the land of captivity. That's where you're driven to? Why? But then word comes and maybe it takes weeks or months, but to your people and you begin to find out that where you had your baby, that everyone else who had it had a child, has been killed. All their babies have been killed in the grief and the heartache that everyone now is experiencing as you stare at your child because you smuggled them. We've seen history more recently, even in the last couple of years, and now it seems every other month of the tragedy and the hurt and the pain that's going on in this world. And for Mary, I can only imagine as she's sitting there looking at her child, you don't outlive that. You don't outlive those moments. To wake up and to know that every day you wake up and see your child, to know that other people are going through the deepest heartache because the baby you have smuggled out. And then to have the shepherds come, you think, man, okay, I don't know, we're just going along with this. We've gone on this trip. No one's here. There's no help. There's no room. We're in a stable. I mean, life's just a mess right now. But we have the Messiah. We have the King. Someone's going to come in and swoop us up and make it all right and make it okay and take care of us and put us up in a place and shepherds show up. I wonder if she pondered these things in her heart. The confusion for the next 30 years. And God said, print it. He said, that's Christmas. I love the holiday cards and the Merry Christmas and the Happy Holidays. But the first Christmas had none of that. It wasn't surrounded with joy and with wrappings. It was surrounded with nothing but the deepest heartache confusion, frustration, thoughts of divorce, and God said, print it. Don't get away from why Christmas came because the way that God works then is the way that it works with people now. So if you're here today, I hope that you're having a fantastic Christmas. I hope that you're dinging the hot chocolate cups, you're snuggling up watching a movie, that work is good, kids are good, life is good. I really do. And if you are here today and and Christmas is merry and good, thank God. That's awesome. But the rest of you that are coming here just hoping for a good song, hoping for a moment to grasp onto where you could just grab Christmas and just a little bit of joy in your life because it's a crappy Christmas and you hate it, congratulations. You're biblical. That's why he came. And for the rest of us who are having a Merry Christmas right now, guess what? February's coming. Or just life happens. And that's why he came. Your first fill in there is we only need a Savior when all is lost. We don't need a Savior when everything's all good. We need a Savior when all is lost, when we are drowning and we feel helpless or hopeless for the future. Jesus didn't come into the world because all was well. Jesus came into the world because it was all wrong, right? And he came to be light in darkness. He came to be light in darkness. And this week's message is he is light. Another one of the Gospels explains the Christmas story like this. I'm going to read that we've gotten this series from. It's in uh, John chapter 1, starts in verse 1. You can follow on the screen. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, 
And the word was God. And that's what Pastor Ken talked about last week. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He had come only as a witness to the light. And then in verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He is light. In the Christmas story, there's four words used more than any other statement. There's four words that are given to every participant of the Christmas story. Every time God shows up to someone in the Christmas story, the first words he has to tell them is, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. He shows up to Joe in Matthew 1, verse 20, when he's going, this isn't the way that things are supposed to be. I don't know what's going on. This is the way I'm feeling. It's going to start with divorce. And he comes to Joseph and he says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid that you feel hopeless. Don't be afraid that you feel helpless in this situation and you feel that all your hopes and dreams of a family have been shattered. He shows up to Mary in the same thing in Luke 1, 30-31. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. Do not be afraid. For the father of John, who is the witness of the light that was to come, he comes to him at his time of the day of atonement. He's giving the sacrifice in the temple to Zechariah and has to say to him, Christmas is starting. Through you, a son named John, I will use to pave the way as a witness to the light that's coming. Do not be afraid. To the shepherds that are out in the fields watching in Luke 2. And there were shepherds living in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. The angel of the Lord appeared to them and said, The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Get this. If every time God wants to start talking about Christmas, it starts with do not be afraid, it means what? There's something to be afraid of, <laughs> right? You're never like having an awesome time with someone being like, this is awesome. And you're like, don't be afraid. And you're like, why are you saying that? <laughs> this is so great, right? Like, when is a Merry, Merry Christmas, don't be afraid. Why should I be afraid, right? You only say don't be afraid when there's something to be afraid of. I have to tell my kids the same thing. When they're, when they're afraid of something, the thing that I think they're most afraid of, and I'm going to tell you the thing that I think you're most afraid of, and we all got it, you're afraid of the dark, right? You go out in a dark place, you're afraid of the dark. And not, even though as adults, you don't tend to say, I mean, kids are like, I'm afraid. <laughs> and you have to tell them, don't be afraid, turn on the light, right? I just have to look at you, and I know it. You're looking at me, I'm like, just turn on the black light. <laughs> but what, what gets rid of the darkness? 
light. Do not be afraid. He is the light. Christmas had to come and scream into the life of those around it. Do not be afraid. Why? Because Christmas is for those who don't feel like it. It's for those who are troubled, gripped with fear, going through bad marriages, divorce, blended family situations. For the time of the year when you realize they aren't going to call, they're not going to come for a visit or the empty chair that's sitting at the table. For those of you in 2015 that felt like you can't please your boss or a client and just pray, God, help 2016 be better. For those who are sick, my God, the cancer that I see everyone dealing with. Do not be afraid. I love that Christmas is about God trying to convince people that regardless of your circumstance, do not be afraid. In your situation, in yours, Christmas can bring good news, can bring light into your darkness. You can replace Christmas with Jesus, as he is light. Jesus can bring good news, can bring light into your darkness. He comes to the darkest places of us. And that light shows us something in this life that my friend Jeremy knew extremely well. He knew this with everything he had and he wished it for everyone around him. He knew that the light shows us that the greatest present of all is the forgiveness of our sins, the adoption into God's family, and the inheritance of eternity. He knew that with everything that he had. Jeremy's last words in this life on December 7th, um, he had uh, been going in and out of kind of this coma state. Uh, he was really sick, and uh, family and had come around to, to just be with him and around him and with him and just to love on him and, and say goodbye. And his answers really were just involved a, a yes and a no, okay. And uh, when they left, his father, Roger, scooped him up and walked him into his room, laid him down. He said, hey, buddy, how you doing? He said, okay, okay. He looked down at him and said, no, 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 not here. How you doing here? And his eyes lit up. You can see the blues in his eyes. And he kind of perked up a little bit. And his last words on this earth was, I'm not afraid. And Roger said, well, that makes one of us. <laughs> those were his last words. I think those were his last words because he knew what Christmas was all about. Because Jesus, the light, came for your worst Christmas or your dreary February. Will you bow your heads? There's some of us in here today that like we're in a good spot. Life's good right now. It's a Merry Christmas. Kids are good. Family's good. Job's good. Like, it's just good. Like, we're okay. 
I love that. I want to encourage you. Will you share that? Where that light's coming, share that little bit of light with other people that need it around you right now. Just give them a little extra love because I love that. There's many of you, I think, maybe in here today that it's maybe the worst Christmas or it just feels like it's just the holidays and you're wearing your ugly sweater and just putting on a face and a show to get through it because it's tough. Maybe you're confused. Maybe it feels dark. Just thought holiday season and time. And I just, I want to encourage you and love on you. And I just really want to pray for you and that God would just, just peek a little bit of light into this situation. Because that's what he came for. So if you're there and you're that place this week, would you raise your hand and just keep it up so I can pray over you and for you that God would just touch you and encourage you? Yeah. Just hold, hold your hands up. So God, would you just touch those with their hands up? Just lean in on them. Just give them a little light, a little love right now. Maybe as they leave this place today, maybe just a little weight comes off their shoulders. God, thank you for coming for us in our dark times to be a light. If there's anyone here today and maybe you have never made a, a decision invite the light, to invite Jesus life into your life. To receive the greatest present of all, the forgiveness of your sins, the adoption into God's family and the inheritance, the knowing of an inheritance of an eternity with him. So I want to invite you, if you've never taken that step of faith that said, yes, Jesus, I need you to come for me too because you say you did and I'm in. Would you raise your hand? Just look at me. I want to acknowledge you, pray over you, and celebrate with you as you allow his light just to come into your life and to guide and direct you. So God, we we love you and we celebrate you. We thank you for Christmas. We thank you for your son that you sent, the Savior when all feels lost. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California. You made a way for the